We like to invite God to speak to us through His Spirit. It is it's really impossible for us to understand God without some help from Him. So, if you would, let's read the uh, prayer on the screen together. O Lord our God, we have gathered in Your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise You, for You are Lord of all creation, to enjoy You, for You are our Heavenly Father, to learn from You, for You are our wonderful Counselor, and to serve You, for You are our Almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord, and let the river of life flow through this great city. We seek to love our neighbors as You have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we are concluding a 10-part series uh, called I Love My Church. And the purpose of this series uh, has been to prepare us, to prepare us for a season of rebirth as a church, uh, to become a, uh, what we call a river church. A river church is different from a lake church in that a lake church is uh, really worried about gathering lots of people uh, in one place. On Sunday mornings, it's like a lake. The, the water just kind of flows in and just kind of sits there. But we want to be a river church where you may uh, come into our church for a while, but the Lord may send you uh, to, to do His work in, in other places, start new things. We're more concerned with, with what happens after our service is over and as we flow into our communities and how we are blessing and how we are influencing, how we are uh, making this world look a little bit more like heaven. So we want to be a river church. We need to go through a rebirth to become that church. Uh, we also want to be a church of the city. We want to matter to this place. If our church was to disappear next week, would anybody notice? We say, where is that church that used to do uh, that, that ministry to uh, kids whose parents are in prison? That ain't that angel tree thing. Wasn't that Trinity Church? What happened to the, that church that hosted homeless families on their campus? And what happened to that, to that church that always was that welcome place where you could come and you could get a hug and you could get some hope? And where is that, where is that church gone? We want to be that church. And so some of the big concepts, uh, we're going to recap for the first uh, five minutes or so. We're going to recap. Uh, what did we talk about? Well, first of all, in your bulletins, we talked about uh, being a great church and why that starts with our expectations. Becoming a great church begins with our expectations. What do you expect when you come here? Do you expect to be entertained or do you expect to be challenged and moved? Do you expect to be healed? Do you expect to be, uh, have your thinking just radically change? What do you expect? Do you expect God to bring people into this church? Do you, ex do you expect God to use you to reach out to your neighbors? Do you expect the Holy Spirit to be at work in here? What do you expect? So we, we invited you to, to come early and to come with lots of expectation. Be ready for God to, to do something in your life. We also talked for uh, five weeks about five different purposes uh, in the church and in our lives that we have to fulfill to be satisfied. You need these things, like the five food groups, uh, to be healthy, to be fruitful as individuals and as a church. And the five things we talked about are worship and fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. If you missed any of those sermons, you can go on our church website, trinitychurchmp.com, and you can listen to what uh, we had to say about those things. But how we live these things out uh, will begin to change because we're going through a season of, of rebirth, and we have, to be, we have to adapt. We have to be creative. We'll talk about that today. We have to think outside the box. In the last couple of weeks, 
we talk, started talking about uh, our plans to launch an extended effort to win the favor of our community. And this is going to require a significant investment of our time and our talents and our treasures. Uh, how can we make friends? How can we build bridges between our church and our community? And boy, I'll tell you, we need that right now uh, in our country. We need people who are peacemakers and who are bridge builders and who will join in the work of healing uh, the division that we have in our land. So how do we do that? How do we win the favor of our community? We know that in the early church, we read in Acts 2, uh, that this was the reputation of the church. They were popular. People liked them. The people like the church. The Christians have a good reputation. Do we have the... Have we... Uh, earn the favor of our community. Uh, we asked you during the past uh, several weeks to make some commitments. We asked you to come to church early. We asked you to come to church and sit at the front uh, to, uh, to, so that we free up some of the seats for those who come in a little late and also uh, to, uh, to, to generate that sense of, of, of togetherness. Uh, we challenge you to keep up on the sermons. If you're not here in this particular week, make sure you catch up because we want to all be on the same page. And if you miss two or three sermons in a series, you may miss some critical information. God may want to speak to you through that, through that message. And so listen to it on your way to work. You know, go, and, go on our website, listen to it through your phone, whatever you need to do. Uh, we challenge you to eat together more on Sundays. Who are you going to eat with today after church? Have you made plans? If you haven't, just, just go up to somebody afterwards. What are you doing for lunch? Let's go. Let's, let's find a local restaurant to support and, uh, and, and have a good time together. Uh, we asked you to commit to joining a small group, a life group. We uh, invited you to serve on a, on a ministry team. Uh, we challenged you to give financially, to give consistently and generously and joyfully. We asked you to start getting to know your neighbors, participate in our canning hunger drive. Every week we've asked you, we've asked you to, to commit a little bit more of your time and your, your talents and your resources to God because he's worthy, because we are created to be servants. We are going to be making even bigger asks in the months to come. So you should expect to be challenged when you come to church. As I've mentioned, if you, if you leave this place, you say, you didn't challenge me today. You didn't ask me to do anything. And then something went wrong. You say, well, before you leave, come up to me and say, well, ask me to do something. I'm waiting. You told me, right? Uh, you should be expected to be invited when you come to church to be part of something bigger than yourself. Jesus was always asking his disciples to believe, to trust, to commit, to act. He would ask, will you repent? Will you believe? Will you follow? Will you go? Jesus is always challenging people. And so to be a disciple is to surrender our lives to Jesus. Everything we have, everything we are is fair game for God to use. And Jesus tells us that when we surrender all, when we lay down our egos and we lay down our possessions and we, we lay down our ambitions and our preferences, when life stops being about us, we're told that we come alive. We come alive. Jesus taught us that the way up is down. To be great, we have to become a servant of all. Our president-elect has told us that we need to make America great again. 
Jesus would tell us that the way to become great is to become a servant. To become a servant. What the New Testament calls a doulos, a, a bond slave. So we can, we can either build God's kingdom or we can build our own kingdom, but we can't do both. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. And so what we've been asking you through this series is to choose whom you will serve. And we are imploring you to choose Christ. To choose Christ and be the church. And so today we're going to talk about uh, our January relaunch. If you've been following along, you know that next year we're going to start a church-wide campaign. And we're going to call it Love Where You Live. Love Where You Live. Our January relaunch. Yes, we are going to strap one of those to every one of your backs. We're going to blast off. But we are going to relaunch uh, a, a church-wide campaign called Love Where You Live. We want to reintroduce ourselves as a church to our neighbors. We want to get to know our community. We want them to know us. So what are we going to do? And, and, and how are we going to get ready? What exactly are we asking? I'm going to share that today with you in detail. So today is less of a traditional sermon where we're going through a large Bible passage and and, and exegeting that. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about a plan, our plan. It's more of a strategic planning uh, meeting. But first, let's talk about the election. Let's talk about politics. Um, this is a... It's been a dark week. That's why there's nothing on the screen. It's been a dark week for, for many people. And look, some of you voted for uh, President-elect uh, Trump. And uh, so your candidate won. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Is They're still racking up, I think, it's two million votes ahead right now. What does that tell you about our country? It's extremely divided. But it's not just divided in the way that um, it's been divided in previous elections in the past when it was uh, President Bush and, and Al Gore with... Not, it's not like that. Something's different this time. Because we're not just thinking about policies, uh, but we're also talking about rhetoric and values and the way that we speak about one another. Uh, and it is, there are people, as I mentioned in, in the, earlier in the service, there are people who are really genuinely scared. There have, there's just been this past week all kinds of stories coming out of uh, just people driving by and shouting out the window, go home, you spick, or a worse language. Um, a, a Chinese uh, woman in New York who was born here, raised here, was approached in the subway uh, by uh, a, a man who, who just really kind of got in her face and said, you need to go home. And he actually grabbed her arm and he actually punched her. And uh, so she defended herself Cops come, don't even listen to her, hide the story, her side of the story. He, this guy had a bunch of friends with her and said she started it, put her in handcuffs. There are uh, schools, where, um, schools where girls who are uh, wearing uh, headscarves, hijabs, um, are having them, other, other students are coming and ripping them off, saying horrible things. We, we've seen swastikas painted on public spaces this past week. 
this stuff is real. It's not some conspiracy, oh, people are just making this up. You know? No, this is happening. This is happening. But what do we do? I'm not going to scapegoat one particular person. I'm not going to scapegoat a, a political leader. Um, all that has happened is that for some, in many different ways, people who are already feeling these things now feel they have permission to act out on some of their worst impulses. This election did not cause all of this racial division. It uncovered it. It exposed the undercurrent in our country. I'm sorry, but America is not good. We are not good. The Bible is clear. There is no one who is good. We are in this illusion that we are somehow a moral, good nation. We're not. We're not. And to me, this is evidence of how much we need Christ. How important our mission is. So, uh, one of the questions that, uh, that we get um, often is, is, how do we submit to a government uh, that we may believe is moving in the wrong direction. Whether you thought that was happening under President Obama or whether you think it's going to happen under, under President Trump, Trump, how do we submit to a government that we think is totally moving in the wrong direction? W- what happens when we say, I, I, you know, I love my country and I want to cooperate with the political system, but I am really struggling here. And, and, and what the policies or the rhetoric that are coming out, I just can't seem to reconcile them with what the scriptures say. Let's, let's, let's consider uh, policies about immigration and how do we balance that with, with what the Old Testament and the New Testament tell us about welcoming the stranger and loving the alien among us. How do we reconcile these things? How in the world can the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 tell Christians to submit to the authorities, the governing authorities, when we know that many governing authorities, human governments, are corrupt and unjust what do we do as believers when we feel that our government is ungodly? Well, the Bible does command us to submit to the governing authorities and to pray for kings and rulers and anyone who's in authority that we may lead, First yeah, Timothy 2 says, so that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness, godliness and reverence. And these words that Paul writes are even more striking when we realize that he wrote them during the reigns of the Roman emperors Nero and Caligula, two of the worst tyrants ever known in history. And so it's very clear that as long as we can submit to our governing authorities without denying Christ or without compromising our faith, we have to strive to cooperate. And that doesn't mean that we have to endorse all of our governing authorities' policies or approve of every specific action that they take. And this is very true in a democratic society like ours. It is our responsibility to examine our, po- our public servants with a very discerning and a critical eye. That's our responsibility. At the same time, we are to respect our leaders. So how do we reconcile those things? Well, first of all, we recognize that that the people of God don't have a president. We don't have a president. We have a king. His name is Jesus. 
In fact, we are told that we are not even to count our citizenship among the citizenship of this world. You're not an American citizen if you're a Christian. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God does not recognize dual citizenship. You have one citizenship. And so we live as aliens, as foreigners in this country. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, don't think of yourself as an American. Well, don't say, well, I can be an American and a Christian. No. You are a Christian. There is no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. You may hold an American passport, but you are a citizen of the kingdom. And so as a foreigner in America, how do we live? How do we live? One of the most radical convictions of the early Christians was that they would say Jesus was their Lord and their King and their Savior. Now, why is that radical? Because every one of those words was a very real political title. Someone already was Lord. Someone already was King. Someone already was Savior. You know who it was? Caesar. That is why their witness was so subversive, so controversial. Every time they said Jesus is Lord, they were saying Caesar is not. Every time we say Jesus is king, we're saying President Obama is not. President Trump is not. In fact, we say we only have one president. His name is Jesus. People should view Christians with a lot of suspicion. We're not quite sure where your loyalties lie. Are you really for America? Because it seems like everything you're talking about, you're all about the kingdom. I'm not quite sure you're an American. Did you know that the early Christians were accused of treason? An insurrection? And undermining the authority in Rome? What if Christians, what if we were accused of treason? Those Christians, we don't trust them. They're undermining the authority of the United States. Did you know that the early Christians were called atheists? Because they didn't believe in God. Because Caesar was God. And so if you didn't believe in following Caesar, you were without a God. You were godless. You were an atheist. Because the, the Christians did not believe in the religion of Rome. They no longer had faith in the powers that be. Here's how they are described in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts 17. These people, meaning Christians, these people who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king and his name is Jesus. So what do these words mean? They, they just mean this. God is sovereign over human events at the same time. He gives people the freedom to make choices and go their own way. In other words, there's no one who can become a king or an emperor or a governor or a president or an assemblyman or a senator apart from God's will. God allows these things to happen. He gives us free will. But make Make sure you understand this. Just because, because God allows it, 
Just because these things can't happen apart from God's will doesn't mean that someone who possesses political power has a stamp of, of approval from God. In other words, the fact that Donald Trump is our president or the fact that President Obama was, was our, is our president doesn't mean that God pulled the lever and voted for that person. But God allowed people to choose. And so what is our responsibility? And by the way, this responsibility doesn't start now. We always had this responsibility. What is our responsibility? Micah 6.8 tells us that the Lord has told you, God has told you what is good. This is what God requires of you, to do what is right. That has not changed. To do what is right, to love mercy. To love mercy. Another translation says to do justice. To do justice and to walk humbly with our God. What is your responsibility under any government? To do what is right, to love mercy, to do justice, to walk humbly with God. What is justice? What does it mean to do justice? Justice, if you, if you don't have a working definition of justice, justice is speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power. What does that mean? It means that when our governing authorities are enacting policies or acting in a way that oppresses those who are weak, those who are vulnerable on the fringes of our society. And you can define that. I mean, you can think about who is it in our society that, that doesn't have equal footing with everyone else, that, that comes into society with a disadvantage, that is marginalized. Who are those people that, that don't get a fair shake, that don't start with the same resources in the same place that the rest of us do? Who are the people that are most likely to be taken advantage, advantage of we are to, when we are to speak truth to power and when they enact policies that are oppressive to people? That this is not right. This is not okay. We are to care for those on the margins. We are to protect their well-being. We are to be a voice for the voiceless. So in other words, as I mentioned before the election, we don't vote based on what's going to be good for me. We vote according to what is going to align with God's will for human, for human beings. Right? My vote's not for me. It's for all of us. So, as I just sum up, this wasn't part of the message today. I added this 20 minutes ago. It's too simplistic for us to think that the only way that we have a voice is when we have a vote. You have a voice. You must use it. You can't limit your influence to one day every four years on election day. And so for those of us who follow Christ, and I'm borrowing words from Shane Claiborne, who is a, really enjoy what he has to say as a pastor. Uh, for those of us who follow Christ, we vote every single day. You vote with your lives. You vote with your budget. You vote with your voice. What you do on the, what you do on November thirteenth 
and 14th and 15th is just as important, if not more important, than what you did on November 8th. So in the midst of all of this craziness that's going on, um, I just felt we had to speak into this just a little bit and to say, okay, what are we going to do now? Right? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to scapegoat anyone. I don't want to lay the blame for what's going on in our country at any person's feet. Um, I think this election exposed something about our country. And it definitely, I think, uh, exposed um, how incredibly left behind and forgotten a huge part of our populist feels. And if there's one thing that's really good that's coming out of this, uh, this whole election process, I hope it's that we learn to listen to each other. I hope it's that we're saying, I'm not going to ridicule you for what you believe or who you vote for or anything, but I want to listen. Help me understand. And if that becomes our posture, then we're, on, we're in good territory. Amen? So let's continue with what we're supposed to talk about today. Uh, we live in a very rapidly changing world, right? This election is, is, is part of that. And in fact, in uh, uh, former Vice President uh, Al Gore wrote in a book, The Future, he says, there is no period, no prior period of change in history that remotely resembles what humanity is about to experience. The pace of change, what is happening in our country around the globe, we've never seen stuff like change like this before. And so I want to show you a quick little video. It's about three minutes long. It's, uh, it's a bunch of predictions about what the world is going to look like in 2028. This was uh, designed to help educational institutions start to have a dialogue about how they need to adapt to prepare kids for the world that is going to await them in their, when they graduate. So about 12 years from now, kids who are going into kindergarten now, when they graduate from high school, what kind of world is going to await them? And so as you watch this video, if we could pull down the shades at the side, as you watch this video and turn out the lights, I want you to think, how do these changes affect the way that we think about the ministry and the mission of the church? How are we getting the church ready for the world that await, will await us in 12 years? I want you to Listen very carefully to the words I'm about to say. Why do we keep pushing our church to change? You've, for those of you who have been here for a while and you know my personality, you may have gotten sick of all the changes that we keep asking people to make. Why do we do that? Why do we keep pushing our people to change, our church to change? Because part of our mission is to prepare the next generation of Christians for their future, not our past. Let me say that again. Part of our mission as a church is to prepare the next generation of Christians for their future, not our past. And so the church has to continually change to speak to the culture that it is in. We're not going back to the way that the church was 50 years ago. Where are we now and where are we going to be? So innovation for the church is not optional. It's critical. I mean, think about it. How is the church preparing 
to carry out its mission in a world in when, in, where in just 12 years, the largest religion is going to be Islam. Are we ready for that reality? What are we doing now to prepare for that? How is the church preparing to carry out its mission where the average person in the world is the 34-year-old Indian man? Would a 34-year-old Indian man come to this church? Right? Actually, yes, right there. Thomas, hello. <laughs> I don't know how old you are. If you're 34, that would be so freaky, man. <laughs> How is the church preparing to carry out its mission in a world where 62% of the global population will live in large urban cities? How is the church preparing to carry out its mission in a world where the most fought-over resource will be water? What's our role in that? Well, how will we speak to that? How will we address that? How is the church preparing, and this is a big one, we haven't thought about this, how are we preparing to carry out our mission in a world where one in three people will have a lifespan of over 100 years old? Right, Ivy? You'll be one of them. How is the church preparing to carry out its mission in a world where the most widely spoken language is going to be Chinese, followed closely by Spanish? How... We must prepare the next generation of Christians for their future, not our past. How do we prepare balanced global Christians with a heart for servant leadership in an increasingly secular, pluralistic, internationalized, technology-driven, fast-changing world? The world is changing, and it is becoming increasingly unfamiliar to those who grew up in a society where Christianity governed people's worldview and values and culture and lifestyle and habits. Do you remember when shops used to close on Sundays? I don't. It was a long time ago, right? But, but Western Christianity does not have the same influence over culture that it, that it used to. And you know what? That might not be a bad thing. Because what Western Christianity has become may not be what Jesus envisioned. And if that's true, then it needs to be dismantled. You know, throughout history, God has regularly allowed His people to be overtaken by foreign powers, to be purified, to be cleansed, sometimes leading them to wander without a home. Sometimes the people of God were taken into exile because that was how God began to reshape His church as an act of refining and rebirth. And so we may be entering that type of season where now the church in America is on the margins and must speak from the margins to the wider culture. So how do we do that? Are we ready? What, how do Christians act when the world around us changes, when we lose our position of dominance, when we lose our place at the table, when we're pushed to the margins? What happens when we feel like foreigners are in our own country? Well, in Jeremiah 29 we read about what happened when the people of God were taken into captivity in Babylon and God told them what to do during that time through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, build houses. During this time when you're in exile, build houses. Do what you normally do. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Do all the things you normally do. 
Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Do not decrease. And notice his next words. He doesn't say, while you're in exile, when you're in captivity, rise up and rebel against the culture and fight. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. To which I have carried you. I did this. I have carried you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. No matter what period we are at in history, the church is to seek the prosperity of our city. To bless it. To love it. To pray for it. And so if we are to be a church in exile, a church on the margins, the single most important skill for us, other than knowing the word and being able to properly understand it, the most important skill for us to have is to learn how to engage our community, how to engage people, how to listen, how to converse, how to understand, how to know. We can't rely on people coming to us. Those days are gone. We all have to be missionaries. We all have to get out. It's not enough for us to just sit here and teach the word week after week. We have to become fishers of people. We have to be creative. And here's the thing. God is going to raise up. I know this. God is going to raise up churches. By 2028, God will raise up churches that will know how to engage the culture that will know how to carry out his mission in that context. The question is whether we will be one of them. And if we are willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, if we're willing to adapt and change, that we will be one of them. And we have 12 years to get ready, and the clock starts now. Clock starts now. Are we going to be ready? What are we doing to get ready for that reality? So in January, we're going to launch a church-wide campaign called Love Where You Live. We're going to start looking for where God is at work outside of these walls, and we're going to join in that. We're going to seek the welfare of our city. We want our community to prosper. We want to be the best neighbors we possibly can be. We intend to gain the favor of all the people so that some might be saved. And so there's three things that we want you to do, and you can fill these in on your bulletin. Three things we want you to do. Number one, we want you to get to know the communities that you live in. And make some new friends along the way. Get to know your community. Number two, listen to the needs around you. And come up with some creative ways to meet those needs. And number three, we're going to invite people to visit our church and explore what it means to become a follower of Jesus. If you're, if you're confused about what we're trying to do in the spring, um, and I'm going to give out a handout in a second that has this slide on it, so... Uh, if, you, if you don't quite have it down, don't worry, you'll get it. We want you to get into groups, and we want you to get out of the house. It's as simple as that. So everyone say, get into groups. Get, into groups. get out of the house. Out. Turn to the person next to you and say, get into a group. Get into group. And get out of the house. <laughs> simple enough, right? We are also going to invite community leaders. We're going to invite our police chief to come up. I've already spoken to him, our police chief. Maybe one of our local school principals, uh, the, uh, from the, people from the American Legion, just people who are who's in our community. We're going to invite them here on Sundays to get to know you. We're going to get to know our community. We want our community to get to know us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to form community groups. 
This is what we're going to do. And Johnny, if you can uh, help me pass those things out right there. I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do during this campaign. So as we're passing that out, let me just explain it to you about what's on the screen. January 15th, we're going to have a pre-launch prayer rally here on Sunday during the service. We're just going to, have, we're going to devote the entire service to just praying for what God is going to do. Then the following Sunday, January 22nd, is going to be our kickoff party, our relaunch, where we kick off our campaign. The following week, we're going to do it in Roland Heights. So both campuses are going to do it about the same time, but one is, one is a week behind. January 22nd to 28th, during that week, we want you to meet your neighbors. We want you to have a, a, a barbecue or a block party or something. Invite a couple of your neighbors over. Okay? Um, and uh, what you're going to do is you're going to get together with people in your, in your area, in your zip code, in your city. So there might be like 10 of you that kind of live in the same area. Like maybe you live around West and Tallinn. And they say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to do, do the barbecue at our house. So church people come on over. And then we're going to invite some neighbors over. And we're all kind of mix, kind of mingle, right? January uh, 29th of February 4th, the next week. Um, that week is called Who's Who in My City? And the same group, so Wes and Celine and the people that live around them, we're going to ask you to visit, um, to attend a local city council meeting. Go and find out what's going on in your city. Um, do you know who your local elected officials are? Do they know who you are? I guarantee you, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you show up there with 10 people, that's a lot of people, because you know what? Nobody goes, right? I know. I've been there. You know? um, but if you show up with 10 people and you sit down together, they're going to be like, okay, what's going on? What are they mad about? They must be here for a reason. And every single council member is going to come up and shake your hand and introduce themselves and say, I'm so glad you came, right? They want to make nice with you. Um, or uh, you can go to a, maybe a local chamber of commerce meeting or or something like that. But where are the community leaders and where do they get together? And you're going to go and you're just going to hang out. And then afterwards, you're going to go out for coffee and you're going to debrief that experience. Hey, what was that like? What did we find out? Okay? Uh, week uh, three is called We Need to Get Out More. And during that week, you're just going to get out as a group. You're going to have some fun. What, what is going on in your community that's fun to do? Lots of stuff. If only you took the time to discover them. Right? So uh, as a group... Go out to the local library or community center. Find out what classes are there. Talk to a librarian or the community center director. Say, what, what do you got? Um, maybe uh, uh, organize a, a softball game with the neighbors. Uh, arrange a family play date at the park. If you're like a stay-at-home mom, call up the other moms in your area and just say, hey, we're going to meet Wednesday afternoon at this place for a play date. Go and have some fun together. Uh, go line dancing at the senior center. Do they do that at the senior center? Yeah, cool. All right. Or it's... <laughs> Uh, hypothetically, you don't actually know, right? But you've been there. Um, or Bingo Night or something like that. Uh, there's a, a website called meetup.com, which uh, Johnny mentioned the other day. Uh, meetup.com, and you just go there and you look up activities in your area. So go have some fun. The next week is called Thanking Our Local Heroes. We're inviting you uh, to visit your local fire department or police department or uh, maybe public school, bring by some sandwiches for the officers or the teachers, uh, maybe a couple no notes of thanks. Maybe you can meet with the high school principal and just say, we're from Trinity Church, and we're just looking for ways that we can partner with you. Do you need anything? How can we support you? Right? So get to know some of the people in our community that, that serve, uh, ser serve the greater good. Um, the next week is called Making a Difference. 
how do we let our community know that we care? Gave you a couple of ideas. Maybe you could call up the city and say, we want to do a cleanup day at our local park. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. And then round up the neighbors and bring a bunch of trash bags and um, you know, tools and stuff and just clean it up, you know, just as a way to give back. Or, or you could call the local Boys and Girls Club, American Legion, and say, hey, we want to do something like what the ladies did. You made those scarves, right, for the, for the veterans. I thought that was really awesome. So do something like that. Give back. Make a difference. Uh, and then the, the last week is called Mikasa Sukasa, uh, and we just want you to eat together. Think about all the people you met during the campaign. You may, I'm sure by that time you'll have made some friends and say, do you want to come over? for? We're going to have a barbecue again. Uh, we'll provide the burgers if you can bring a side or we'll make ribs or whatever, you know, but have some fun, bring people over. And then to conclude the campaign on March 5th, we're going to have an open house here in, uh, at church. We're going to have tables outside introducing our women's ministry, men's ministry, different things we've got going on, kids program, youth program, uh, and all of that stuff. And this, it's a chance for people to come and, and learn about us. Right? And so we're anticipating lots of new friends to join us on that day. This is going to be fun. Now, some of you are thinking, thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of stuff. I don't know if we can make all of it. That's fine, okay? Just know who your group is, okay? So whatever zip code you're in and whoever the, the, the house leaders are, you know, the community leaders are for that group, and go to as much as you can. If you're like, I can probably make four out of those six events that you're planning, fantastic. But get to know people in the church who live in your area. Get out of the house. Have some fun. Sound good? So what we're going to do in the last couple minutes is you are going to form those groups right now. Um, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to move around. Okay? So uh, in Monterey, we're going to have this group over here. If you live in Monterey Park, come over to this area. Okay? If you live south of the church uh, in um, Montebello or East L.A., kind of that area, you're over here. Okay? So, south of the church, over here. Uh, if you are west of the church, if you're over... Um, Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, north of the church in Al Alhambra or Pasadena, that area you're going to be in this section right over here. Okay, Alhambra, Pasadena, north of the church, and uh, Arcadia, that area. Okay. So just move over to those areas. And if you don't know where you live, or you don't know, like. Well, you may have a problem, but if you, if you don't know which group to go to, go to the one that's closest, closest to you. Yeah, give uh, two, two of them to each group. This is, this is Monterey Park. This is south of the church. This is north of the church. Yeah. Once you're in that area, we may need to divide you up again. Okay, so we just kind of settle in that area.
All right, so everyone sit down and listen up. All right, so let's hear a cheer from the Monterey Park section. All right. And then here over here we have south of the church section. Woo, all right. And all of you are like north of the church, right? Woo, all right, right. And then some of you are like, you don't know where you go. Okay. <laughs> if you are east of the church, if you are east of the church and you're actually closer to Hacienda Heights, Roland Heights, what, what may happen, I'm sorry? Oh, really? That's too bad. That's too bad. You want to, somebody should bring them back in. But some of you, maybe you're, you're closer to Hacienda Heights, Roland Heights. We also will have groups over there from the other campus. So you may actually join one of those groups. Or any one of these other ones, you're welcome to, if you're willing to make the drive out. But here's the thing. Um, we want to get to know each other, and we want to get to know other community. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a quick video. We're going to close the service. And then after that, spend a little time in your group. Um, getting your information down, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to approach a couple of you within your areas to say, would you be willing to kind of be captains for your, your community and help send out emails and, and help organize people, okay? But we want every single person in the church involved in this because it's going to be fun. We don't want anyone left out, okay? We want to do this together, okay? Um, but the question is, as you get into your communities and you're going to start meeting people, you're going to start meeting people, and at some point, um, the topic of spirituality may come up. And uh, a lot of people don't know how to start a conversation uh, about God. They want to, but they don't know where to start. Uh, so how do we start a conversation about faith without being pushy or obnoxious? You know, um, How do we bring good news to people in a way that sounds natural uh, for us as people of faith? Um, and so I want to show you a quick little video. It's about two and a half minutes that just gives you a, a concept how to start those conversations. So again, let's turn out the lights. Here we go. When it comes to talking about their faith, people often say to me, I think my friends may be more open to what I'm learning about God, but I really don't know how to articulate exactly what I believe. Or, I rarely talk to my friends or coworkers about my faith because I don't want them to feel like I'm cramming it down their throats. Whatever that means, right? You hear that one a lot. Let me give you one cool thing that I like to do that has never been weird or perceived poorly by others in my life when I've done this. Instead of starting out a conversation about religion and Christianity by beginning with what we don't believe in common with another person and then debating about that with them, or going after some specific sin that I've observed in their life, like I'm their judge or something, I love pointing out how someone is an example of the kingdom of God breaking in, or how something they did reminds me of Jesus or what God is really like. It's a powerful experience for them. Most people have never experienced anything like that. And a humble and surprising form of evangelism as you connect their life directly to God's plans and purposes. Let me give you an example or two. I once told a good friend of mine who's an atheist that the knowledge and wisdom with which he conducted his business was, was incredible to me. I said that I believe that all wisdom comes from God. And then I added, and I think you've got God-given wisdom, and it reminds me of what God is like at times. Well, I thought he was going to fall over 
it changed him a little right there on the spot and it forever changed our relationship a lot. Another time, I told a dear neighbor that the way she had laid down some of her preferences so that she could bless one of my daughters in a particular situation really reminded me of the way that Jesus had laid his life down for us. Well, she was blown away. She goes, I don't know, kind of flattered and flustered. I'll have to think about that. You see, we've never looked into the face of another person that is not an image bearer of God. No matter what they've done in their life, no matter how broken, filthy, addicted, violent, or confused they may seem, God's image is never completely marred or removed from them, or from you or I for that matter. Pointing out how they still show what God is like in some small area of their life will be truly good news to them and a bridge to further conversations. I promise. So if you've been afraid to share your faith with others or just not sure where to start, the next best time to point out some good news in a person's life is now. Conclude here. I know that we've gone a little over time today, but we're going to conclude here and give you some, a chance to talk to each other. We could flip the lights on again. Thank you, Veronica. Here's what I want you to take away from what we just saw. God is already working in your community. And sometimes we have this attitude with, uh, with people who are not here that like we're the Christians and they're not Christians. It's like you either are or you're not. And we know God and you don't. And God's working in our lives, not doing anything in yours. Right? That's just not true. God is at work in people's lives. And so when we notice that, right, we say, wow, you know, I'll pick on Johnny. Johnny, I really see how the Lord is working in your heart. And, and refining you and leading you. and Some of the things you say really inspire me because I feel that that's the Lord working in your life, right? We come, we come alongside, we just, we affirm. We affirm what we see God doing. Every time you see a clue of that, we come as encouragers. We recognize. So are your eyes open? So as you go about in your community and as you're doing the, you know, going to the city council meeting and everything, be on the lookout for what God is doing. Be sensitive to that and affirm that because we're going to move with that. Does that make sense? So let me conclude the service. Let me pray. And then you're just going to spend some time chatting each other up, getting to know each other. And make sure you fill out your information because we're going to, uh, now that we know who's in that area, we may, this group is way too big, okay? There's a lot of you. So there may be, you may split into like three groups or something like that, okay? But this is, this is how we're going to move forward, all right? Um, so let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for being with us today, moving with us, speaking to us. What an incredible service it was. Loved the, the, the worship and just this hunger for you, God. And I love what's happening in our groups and our people, Lord, that there's, this, there's something happening, something happening, and we just, we just want to be able to see it and move along with it. And God, we thank you that you have, are sending us into the community. Thank you, God, for opening our hearts. This is going to be a lot of fun. And you're going to be with us. You will give us favor. And we will take advantage of those relationships uh, to be able to share with people just how much you love them and what your plan is for us and invite people into your family. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.